Hey, 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 Closet Busters and Bold Move Makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the Bold Move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So coming out, this is what it's all about, right? Life on Closet. All we do is talk about coming out, coming out, coming out. And there's lots of coming out stories. And sometimes the story is a twist and turn that you least expect. And that's where we're going today. It's going to be with someone who's very talented, who is a musician, who is an expat living abroad. I'm going to let her tell that part of the story as well. But suddenly, there's a twist to the queer coming out story. And I love this because this only proves once again that being our most unique, wonderful, amazing queer selves out in the world and coming out stories about, oh, divorce and all this sort of stuff. The twists are what makes us so unique and help us support each other in this journey of coming out to be unapologetically who we are. My guest today is Ember Swift. She is a Canadian artist, musician, songwriter, and she's got 13 original albums. She performs internationally. She's been doing all of this for well over 25 years. She is currently living abroad in China. And I can't wait to hear all the interesting things that have happened for her, not only as a Canadian living abroad, but in her twists and turns of the story we're about to share. So, Ember, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here. And I'm so excited to hear these twists and turns that I've made such a big deal about. So Rick's (laughs) going to shut the fuck up. It's your podcast. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it is kind of your podcast like here we go we're gonna like dive in so let's kind of start with okay so expat living in china canadian got to be an interesting life lots of twists and turns and you've got a pretty big fan base there as well right uh yeah i'm doing pretty well here so i came to china in 2007 as a visitor um so prior to that i had a fairly active um touring life in North America and Australia. So I started touring around uh, 1998 and I was touring full time um, for 10 years, pretty much. Uh, At Mm. the height of that time, I was doing around 200 shows a year in North America. As I said, Australia was one of my strongest markets. And then was doing a little, we did some tours in New Caledonia. You got to mention, you got to mention the, uh, the tropical island (laughs) experiences. Um, and then, uh, in 2007, I came here as a visitor, as a sabbatical, really, because I was so busy from my touring career. I really needed a break and I had studied Chinese at university. It was like this secret story that I had in my back pocket. Um, most of my fans had no idea I had this interest in Asia or had any background or education. Um, I have a, my, uh, my bachelor's degree is in East Asian studies and I had studied Mandarin mm. uh, and I really had always wanted to go to China. So I arrived in China in 2007 as a visitor and uh, fell in love with the country and the culture and uh, revisiting the language and relearning the language. Um, 
which was the first coming out I had to do to an a, as an activist artist to an audience of people who were who were very anti-China even then. Now the anti-China sentiment has uh, increased over the years, sadly. But uh, you know, many people were up in arms that I would be interested in even traveling to a country that uh, um, was certainly not LGBTQ friendly and right. uh, hasn't hasn't quite um, become that way over the 15 mm. years, almost 15 years I've been here. But uh, you know, I was adamant that this was not about a political thing. It was about my interest in the culture and, and the country and my just my love of of the land. And feeling like I had a past life experience with this place, it's kind of spiritual, it goes into that zone. Mm. Yep. Uh, then, um, then I turned around and fell in love with a Chinese person in China. <laughs> and as a, a very strong, out loud, queer activist to have uh, met a person here who was not female mm. was a shock to me. First of all, I had to come out of my own closet like what how could i be attracted to uh, someone of the opposite sex and then to fall in love my first love experience at the time i was 33. wow i'm, I'm 48 now and uh it was a shock because i had been i came out when i was 18 and uh i had i defined as lesbian for the first couple of years of my life but then i went into a queer definition because i kind of liked the overarching nature of that definition. I like the umbrella sure. term, how it brought us all together. And it also gave me the permission to be attracted occasionally to a very beautiful man. If I, if I saw one, and I used to say I was an 80, 20, you know, every <laughs> 20, every two people of 10, I would say, right. Oh, they could, they could be boys. It's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Been there, done then, that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I like the fluidity of the term queer very much. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because yeah. I came out later in life and all my listeners kind of know this, but there's one story I've told a few times, but it's been a long time since I've told this story. I worked in for a company in Orange County, California, very conservative Orange County. And at the time I didn't realize how conservative it was. I'm like, okay, whatever. And now, now that I'm like out proud, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's very, very much that conservative space. Right. But there was a particular guy in the company who was just, he didn't know how to handle like, okay, you were married, but now you're with a guy. He, that was his first thing. Right. But then there was a coworker who was absolutely stunningly beautiful gal, just beautiful. And her and I became like besties. Like she was my BFF, like the typical gay BFF. Right. And, um, we got to know her, her husband, and we went to a lot of parties at their house. And we went to a party one holiday weekend and came back. And on Monday, her and I were chatting about how much fun the party was. And this guy, older guy, was just like, okay, so you guys are hanging out together? Ah, yeah, oh yeah. Rick had me. And so she says, Rick had me on, on his shoulders in the pool. And the only way he was hanging on to me was hanging on to my boobs. And suddenly you just saw him like, melting down in his head like i don't understand he's a gay man why is he grabbing your boobs you know so everything you're sharing i can completely relate to because i don't hate women i don't it's just not my druthers but every so often i see a good looking woman I'm like, oh, you know 
you never yeah, know. You gotta, you gotta appreciate beauty, right? <laughs> right. It's so funny because, and this is the second time recently that I've told this on my own daughters, but they're like, you guys don't like lesbians. I'm like, I do not know where in the hell you guys got that. So I was interviewing recently a couple of film directors who are lesbian and one of them just launched a show called Coming Out for Love. And I said, I called my kids and I said, guess what? I just interviewed three lesbians in a row, three. And they're all on my podcast. So but yeah, well, I do love the fluidity too. My story. Yeah, yeah. I hope absolutely. your daughter, how old are your daughters? They're now 24. Oh, my dad's going to fail on this. 23, is that right? 23, no, 24 and 20, soon to be 28. So Oh, yep. Okay. Well, I hope they appreciate my story. Oh, they will. Mine, Trust me. Mine's like an inverted coming out, right? So then I had to come mm -hmm. out to my fans and my family um, as having fallen in love with a man, which was still was still very confusing for me um, at that time. And actually, the backlash was terrible in the in the late two thousands before uh, we got into the teens. There was still a lot of. Uh, a lot less acceptance and within the queer community, yep. uh, it was still very insular within the queer community. So um, announcing this truth, which was, you know, sort of my, my MO as an artist, I was always about live your life, live your truth, uh, be proud of who you love. So there I was having fallen in love with a heterosexual person as a queer woman falling in love with a heterosexual person who's male. And uh, I had to, I had to live my my motto, you know, I had to actually right. be be open about that. And the response, I mean, it was pretty terrifying. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of, there was a lot of backlash from the women's community at the time. I lost a lot of fans, but I still thought, okay, well, this is, this is my path. Might as well be true to this love. Yep. Then I moved to China. Uh, restarted my career in China and, uh, you know, still occasionally did shows back in the, in the West. I should, I say did, because it's been a while since I've been back there, thanks to the pandemic. Yep. Um, but I'm certainly prepared to be going back again this summer. And then, uh, um, and then I was in, I got married and then I had children. I have two kids now they're 11 and nine and, uh, we split, he and I split up. Um, and eventually divorced. And it's amazing to me now, the kind of different layers of coming out that I've had to do since I met him. So throughout the marriage, I was regularly having to come out as a queer person because I was invisible in the marriage, right? I was yep. assumed to be a heterosexual woman, which is not the case. Right. Um, I remember one story uh, in the early stage of our relationship before we had kids, you know, he knew of course that I came from relationships with women and accepted that about me, he was very open about that. But he still couldn't quite put it together. So we got into an argument once at a dinner party with a bunch of his friends, and he was sure that I was staring at his male friend, that I was interested in him or something. He had this jealous streak, which you know right. might be part of the divorce. There um, you go. Uh, but uh, I was like, I was not staring at him. But the truth was, I was totally staring at the girl he brought, who was gorgeous. She had this long flowing red hair. She looked like a James, the James Waterhouse painting of Lady of Shalott. Mm. You know that okay. piece? Yeah, the yep, famous yep. Painting. Mm -hmm. She just was, she had this milky white skin. She was just stunning. And uh, I said that to him. I'm like, I wasn't looking at him. I was looking at her. This doesn't, <laughs> he, he didn't have the computation of emotion in his face body to be offended by that but he right. could 
be he could be triggered by the possibility that I was looking at a man, which didn't make any sense to me. I was like, there's right. just no not logic in your argument here. Right. But uh, this is this situation uh, happened regularly between us. But um, then when I was in a dynamic where I was assumed to be straight, there was often a time where I had to say to people, actually, no, no, guy, you might not know this about me, but uh, my previous relationships before this marriage were with women. Right. And this would sometimes just throw people right off. Oh, it throws also, them under the bus. Uh, but also in China, where people do not really talk about their sexuality. This is a very implicit culture. Right. Um, talking about anything remotely sexual, let alone one's sexual identity, really makes people uncomfortable. So I had to tiptoe very carefully around the cultural precedents there um, throughout that whole eight-year relationship. And now the fascinating thing in my life, the current thing, is the the need to come out about my divorce. So people mm. will often say to me, they'll see me as a mother, you know, with my two children, and they'll say, oh, um, they'll ask about their dad, of course, because my sure. kids are bi biracial and they'll they'll notice that. And then they'll uh, they'll say, oh, well, your husband, and I will have to then um, engage with these people in in order to clarify that I don't have a husband happily. Right. I, I right. happily don't have a husband. We had a very harmonious divorce. He and I both were finished mm. um, because, uh, I mean, eight years was a successful bi bicultural relationship. We see yep. that together, yep. but we also know that we, we had to go different directions. Yeah. Um, but then uh, here in China, the uh, this makes people so, so terribly uncomfortable. They're so apologetic for having mentioned that they're so apologetic for having heard me clarify and it's uh it's humorous i i can't drop my westernism during those mm -hmm. moments i must be clear i must be respectfully honest i right. can't allow them to believe that uh something is true when it's not so yeah. i i just always clarify that because it's my cultural way um but it is funny to watch people dance around that they don't know what to do they're like oh, oh sorry no, sorry don't. sorry oh, oh i'm sorry <laughs> So you and I have something somewhat in common again, because, you know, you've come out in different ways in different places in your life. But when I came out, I was actually working for a software company and one of my offices was based in Hong Kong. And this was before the changeover, but still going to Hong Kong as a divorced gay man they didn't know how to wrap their head around that. Like, they're like, okay, we can kind of understand the gay or we can kind of understand the divorced. But we, the two together was like, you know, really hard for them to wrap their heads around. And so I just kind of like you, I'm like, okay, but yes, there's a wife, but she's the mother of my children. We do not really have anything any longer, you know? And it was just really interesting until one trip there. And this was just as I was wrapping up because I was leaving the company and the company was being sold. So I actually went for the last trip to Hong Kong to just kind of like walk through the office of like, here's what's happening. Here's how it's going to affect the Hong Kong office, all this sort of stuff. And one of my teammates, sweetest, just she was one of my favorite team members. She came up and she goes, I'm going to miss you. I'm like, well, I, you know, which is a big expression for somebody in the Chinese culture to also say, you know, you don't talk about this sort of stuff in work home environment. Maybe you would say something, but like in the workplace. 
And she came into my office and she closed the door. I'm like, okay, what could this possibly be about? Right. I'm going to miss you. I'm like, well, I'm going to miss you too. And I was like, wow, I'm kind of taken aback by this. Right. She goes, because I'm just now beginning to understand you being gay and divorced. And I just, it was all I could do <laughs> to keep from laughing. But I thought it, this is really sweet. This is like, wow, she's been, this has been something that's important to her to try to understand. And I thought, I wonder why this is really important to her. So I let her say what she needed to say. And I said, well, I appreciate that. And, you know, we can communicate via email and stuff. Of course, back in 2000, that was like a drudgery in and of itself. Like email was just <laughs> right. beginning, right? Right. And I said, but I have a question for you if it's not too personal. I said, why is this important for you to understand this? And she got really quiet and she goes, oh, I can't talk about that. Oh. And that was the first time I'm like, oh, this is where the culture stuff is really kicking in, right? So let's roll forward eight years later. <clears throat> I'm long gone from the company, right? But I still have some people who are associated with the changeover and the changeover and the third company that's bought, right? And one of my colleagues said, hey, do you remember Lean? Lean, 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 L-E-I-N, however you say, it's been so many years. Do you remember her? I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. She was like one of the last team members that really like had a conversation with me. Well, she's living in the US now. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, where at? Oh, she's actually in Silicon Valley. I'm like, well, good for her. She was very brilliant. So I'm not, it didn't surprise me that, you know, she, and she had a wife. Ah, <laughs> good. Now this was late 2000. So it really wasn't what we were calling wives, you know, because we couldn't do anything. I was just like, oh, wow. I just, I really wanted to tear up right then. Like, wow, did that conversation, like was everything I was sharing with her kind of planting the seed. And because I have worked with a lot of um, <clears throat> different Asian nationals in, here in the US and in Canada, it's always interesting to see how they remove themselves from those environments so that they can kind of be more themselves. And what a huge yeah. sacrifice that is for them. Well, there is a, there's a, there's quite a healthy queer scene in yes. Asia and in the yep. large cities as well, like Beijing and, and Shanghai. And uh, it does exist here. Certainly, of course, yep. uh, queerness exists everywhere, but it's not uh, officially recognized. You can't right. have an official spouse of the same sex. Um, but I think China is slowly becoming more progressive and in a lot of ways, like recently, you might find this shocking, but recently they lifted the rule that you must be married to have a child legally. You don't wow. have to be married to have a child legally now. This is huge. This is a yeah. huge moment in Chinese social policy. First of all, they, they have a, a population crisis. They need new babies. They need, because of the single child policy and the aging population, they need this they need people to make babies so they don't want to have any barriers to that mm -hmm. but this will be helpful to the queer community because lots of um queer families want to have children but they don't have a legal marriage right yep and so if if they can find a surrogate or if they can find surrogates surrogacy is no longer is still not legal here but if they can find a surrogate outside of the country or if one of the partners is female or both are female um mm -hmm could be a bi relationship, you know, right. 
then uh, they they can have a child without a marriage here. So there there are things that are growing, and um, I have I still have several queer friends here that are uh, living very full and happy lives, but there is still an, a layer of what you do not talk about in the workplace, especially. Yep. Um, so. Actually, when I was first with my ex-husband, uh, he very pointedly requested that I do not speak to my his parents. So those who became my in-laws, um, the grandparents of my kids, that I don't come out to them. He said, he asked me very clearly, very precisely. He said they were children of the Cultural Revolution and they will never understand. And they are always going to be homophobic. They're just always going to be that. And I, I was struck by this, but wanted to respect the culture and held back. Then as time went on, my friends came to visit me, several queer friends. Um, I had friends here who were queer couples, either foreign expat queer couples or um, mixed race queer couples, mostly women. But I have uh, also a gay male couple with, with tw twins, they have kids. Um, and I would introduce them into the situation. And my my ex-in-laws were wonderful. They were always very welcoming, um, not understanding per se, right. but at least uh, welcoming and hospitable and kind. Um, but uh, it just never came up. You know, there was never mm. a moment where I could say, by the way, um, my history is this. And then we divorced and now our relationship is more estranged. It's more distant because in Chinese culture, even, even the stigma of divorce even impacts the family. Right. right. Um, and it occurred to me just about a year ago when my daughter, who's now 11 at 10 years old, she asked me, mommy, did you ever have, did you ever fall in love with a girl? And I said, yes. And it, I realized that I have been in this situation where you don't talk about things very openly. And I've been raising my children in this situation and the grandparents have been a big part of their lives that I haven't ever sat my kids down and said, by the way, right. <laughs> this is my story. But I thought that's actually more healthy in, in line with their culture here because they're, they're mm -hmm. mixed race culture. So I will slowly, slowly, slowly just be very open with them. And uh, they've never met one of my ex-girlfriends. They've just never met them. Yep. So if if they did, I would say this is mommy's ex. Right. I would make that clear, but it's just never happened. So I find it very fascinating because now my daughter knows that and she was like, wow, really? And I said, yes, that's not. That's... Sorry, dog barking in the back. That's OK. That's OK. Um, uh, she they are very aware of queer relationships. They they're very good friends with those twins I mentioned with my uh, my gay male friends. Um, so they're, they're completely open. They go to international school. They've, they've got no homophobia whatsoever. Well, but um, I think, I think part of that comes from you and even your ex-husband, <clears throat> but sounds like really you by a, not making this an issue and not like, let's, let's focus on this. This is the, one of the things I talk to people about all the time when I'm coaching them through their coming out journey. What you choose to focus on is what will be focused upon. So if you don't make it a big issue that mommy had girlfriends and you talk about it when it's time to talk about it, 
then kids are going to just kind of naturally adapt to it. But that the moment exactly that it becomes, yeah. But when it comes to let's focus on this and, and I've seen many, many people in my coaching be hurt by exes that are like, no matter, well, I have one right now who's going through some horrible stuff. I don't, we don't know who is behind the shaming that's going on around him, but to the point where, I mean, they've approached his children, grown children, and it's just, it's awful what's happening. But when you give your children the uh, ability to like be in the moment and I, you know, I didn't talk to either one of my girls about my situation until the questions came up. But as they came up, I was definitely going to answer the questions. I wasn't hiding. I was just more like, Hey, I'm not going to make this an issue until they have the questions. I really respect that. Then that's when we had the conversations. That that's really important because especially something I've, that this is especially something I have learned from Chinese culture, this implicit culture that keeps uh, the personal in the personal realm until it's, until it's, uh, you know, until it, it's appropriate to share right. it. Um, there's something very classy about this that mm -hmm. I have come to really prefer. Perhaps that's 15 years of nearly 15 years of living here, but also it might just be a preference that comes with, uh, with my maturity. I used to impose my identity on people. I used to be like, accept it or 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 get right. lost. And this was the, that's an element of being in in your twenties. That's the loud, right. you know, fist pump. Yeah, proud, exactly. Um, but I understand that that kind of imposition of any kind of political platform um, is affronting. You know, it's it's uh, it's confrontational, and. As much as I understand there's a need for that in certain places, in my life now, there is no need for that. I don't need a podium. I don't need a platform um, about my views politically or about my identity. So this comes into play when I'm a parent as well. So it's right. important for me to do exactly what you mentioned, to honor every question and to be open and honest and to present anyone else's story with with full transparency. So mm -hmm. they meet someone, they ask about someone's life. Does 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 Natalie have a, a, a boyfriend? I say, no, Natalie doesn't like boys. You know, I make it very clear that right. this is is part of who Natalie is. And they kids will roll with everything when it's real. Yep. And but you gotta be my, real. You gotta be real. And my children are really balanced, really, really um I feel really healthy humans. Uh, so, you know, the grandparents had an issue with um, my friendship with my gay male dads and their twins and brought that up to me when my kids were around four and six. And I very pointedly said, look, I have the value of alternative families. And if you were looking at our family 20 years ago, um, our family was alternative. I am a Westerner and your son is a Chinese person. So we would have been the family that others would have resisted contact yep. with because we yep. were so different. But now life has changed. And in the West, uh, queer families are not different. They, I mean, they're part of the alternative spectrum of families, but they are not considered wrong or odd or dangerous. So yep. I say, I will not teach my children with those values. And they just had to accept that. Mm -hmm. um, and my kids so the, but that's an interesting that twist amber yeah. where 
there's your new fist pump, so to speak, right? Exactly. It's like, yeah, it's a new generation of fist pump. And that I agree. Yes, there's still times I will go to bat on some things, but then there's, you know, like I said, I've said this numerous times. I'm in, I'm in my late 50s. I'm going to be 60 this year. And there's just, there's a time where I'm just like, I, I don't need that energy. I don't need that. I don't feel the, you know, and, and good if you do. I'm not going to oppose that either. But I also know for where I am in my stage of life, and how I view the world, that I'm going to do what's important to me at this stage. It doesn't have to be this. And I've had numerous friends go, you go to these places and you visit, you don't ever go to like the gay scene. I'm like, not necessarily. That's not what I'm there for. If it mm -hmm. feels like a good place for me to go, yeah, I'd like to go check it out, then I will. But oh, some friends are just like, wow, you you know, you don't support gay businesses. I'm like, you're reading way too much into this. I just didn't no, go, think, okay? Don't you think there's something that happens in midlife um, in as we as we have been queer for so long and we've been so aware of identity politics? It becomes less important. Like it's not as it's not a central part of my life any longer. Um, my my identity as a queer person it's just as central as my identity as a woman or as my identity as a Canadian or as an artist and musician, um, a parent, mom. Exactly. You know, it's all part of the 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 whole array of things that I am. Mm -hmm. So for instance, coming back out or coming out at all to my ex-in-laws, even though now our relationship is in a different zone since I'm now divorced from their son, um, it's not important. It doesn't matter. I never mm -hmm. did come out to them. I never will. And it doesn't matter because I mm -hmm. am who I am. And right. I live my life proudly and openly with those I choose to be open with. Right. And I think sometimes uh, in the coming out politics, there's an assumption that if you don't come out to everyone, then you are not proud or you're not open or you don't value visibility. That's not yep. true. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that at all. I think we need to come out when it's appropriate or if we choose mm -hmm. to. And if we choose to not come out to certain people, it doesn't mean we're ashamed. Nope. It just I, means we, I, we're choosing something else. I say that all the time to my clients. How you come out is on your terms and who you come out to is on your terms. And they're like, but, but I'm like, yeah. And if anybody in the LGBTQ community is telling you something different, you probably need to distance yourself from them because it is your journey. It is the way you want to do it and how you want to do it. Nobody has the right to tell any of us how we do this. And you're exactly. going to be healthier in my opinion. And I, and I do as a coach, I, I say this a lot. You're going to be healthier if you come out of your closet about your sexuality and stay out of the closet as in your sexuality in a way that works for you, not for the closet that the LGBTQ community may try to put you in. Like say, this is how you do queer. This is how you do gay. This is how you do lesbian. You get to choose your path. And if power of choice is one of the God-given things that we all have been given in this world, use it. Use yeah. your power of choice to choose to do it your way. Yeah, I agree with you. But too often, we don't get to do that. So so with all these different things that have come up, I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about your music and how has all this influenced what you do? I know you're getting ready to go on tour and all these sort of things, but does it work its way into your music or is it like, I don't believe you're like singing about I'm queer. And I mean, I don't think that's who you are, but it's got to have some influence about kind of what comes forth as a person. Again, more For the sure. holistic piece. For sure. I think if you look at the uh, 
sort of the I'm looking at I, I'm looking I'm in my my studio right now so I'm looking at my framed albums and I, I think of my life in terms of albums mm-hmm. they used to be my my only babies now I have the human babies too right, right. Um, but certainly my early work was very out and proud and very vocal and I spoke a lot about um, the you know the platform which was to gain visibility for the LGBTQ etc community um, and that that path was a path that many artists were on at that time in the late 90s and in the whole of the early 2000s. And it was a very vital path. It paved the way for what is now a, a much more open dialogue about identity and identity politics in general. Um, however, uh, even during that time, I felt very strongly that music was universal and a lot of my themes were more universal. And uh, as time's gone on, of course, my music has remained in that in that realm. So right. a lot of the lyrical content is more universal about relationship, about human love, um, about uh, the state of the world. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, I certainly saw a shift in the demographic at my in my audiences when I came out about my falling in love with a man, um, yep. and then. I have since seen a huge shift, I think coming like uh, trailing that story, but also in line with my own aging and my own maturity, uh, my audiences have really diversified Mm -hmm. and I'm really grateful for that. I want there to be a huge um, cross section of ages and genders and, um, you know, sexual orientations and culture. I think that's how we present at my gigs. I feel like that's how we, and I, I don't want to, I'm going to use the term win the battle, but that's how we, that's how we invite inclusivity. That's how we invite diversity and acceptance. It isn't for sure. always, it doesn't always have to be the fist pump in the air. There's time for that. Yes. But it's also as simple as, and it's one of the things that even now, I mean, I'm, my husband and I have been together going, well, 22 years this fall married since 2014. So there's longevity here. I don't hide it. But I also don't have to like throw it in front of people. But if I'm somewhere and they're like, Oh, so what does your wife do? Well, I don't know, because I don't have one. But I have a husband, I can tell you what he you know, it's kind of just that that's kind of like, well, let me tell you who I really am sort of thing, right? And if somebody doesn't embrace that, that's on them. It's not on me. But I'm also not ready to like, Oh, let's go rumble about this, right? It Absolutely. Just, there's no energy for me in that anymore. Yeah, I'm. I'm a because I do most of my performing here, especially during the pandemic. Like I was, I was, I was landlocked, and yep. so uh, all of my performances happened within the mainland China. Um, most of my audiences now are predominantly Chinese, right? I speak mm-hmm. Chinese, I, I speak Mandarin fluently, and I conduct my shows in Chinese. A lot of my music is in English, but um, I still have some Chinese songs as well. But a lot of what I'm doing now is I am modeling or I'm a representation of foreignness. I am yes. a, a foreigner to them. So then I have to um, understand that this is the way that I am communicating. This this is my role. My role is to explain how foreigners see the world, how foreigners mm-hmm. live here, and what it's like as a foreigner here. And I speak about you know my life here. Yep. Um, and 
I think the most important closet that I come out of often now in my life, as I mentioned before, is is the divorce closet. Here, it's still such a stigma for women or anyone to be divorced, but especially for women. And uh, it's considered something that not only don't you talk about, but you also are supposed to be disingenuous about. Mm -hmm. So you're supposed to just nod when someone says your husband, or you're supposed to just, uh, you know, allow people to think that you're still married. And I just I think this is the wrong direction to go. It's my, that's my Western education, my Western values coming through. But as I move forward as a divorced woman, I've been divorced since uh, 2018, but split from my ex since 2015. Um, I'm finding that people are really interested in that perspective. So when mm -hmm. I say to, when they say to, they make an assumption, that I'm still married, I say, actually, no, I'm not married, I'm divorced. But then I add, I'm very harmoniously and happily divorced. And their, uh, their father is also very happily and harmoniously divorced. And uh, sometimes it's good to be a happy, divorced person. Yep. Yay. Yay! And they are, exactly. they're surprised by this, because in Chinese culture, that's something to be not just ashamed of, it's something to be quiet about, to be disingenuous about. And I want that to change for Chinese culture. But who am I? Who am I? I'm right. this. I'm this very small. I, I occupy a very small percentage of the population. I'm an expat. My opinions don't really matter in this culture. Right. So out of out of respect <laughs> for the culture, I'm not trying to change it. But I am trying to model a different way of being. Um, and that that closet's an important one for me now because I'm very openly around the world here yep. with my kids as a mom, um, and. And by extension, I am in a new relationship. I, I met a new person and, and he is another guy. And so I have had to come out again about my not going back to women. It's amazing. The, the women in my life, the long-term queer relationships I've had with friends in my life have often said to me, oh, we thought you'd go back to women after that marriage. Like as though I've let them down and I want to add my new partner, his name is Gabriel. He's from Quebec. We're fellow Canadians. Um, is the most egalitarian, the most, the most balanced relationship I've ever been in. Hmm. And, and it's the first time in all of my relationships, my husband and all my girlfriends combined, that I have had a relationship with someone with whom I have not felt gender is an issue. Wow. Isn't That's that huge. fascinating? It's huge. huge. And it I, huge. Uh, I, I think this is amazing. Like this, this is the first human relationship I've been in. Mm. And it just so happens he, he had, you know, he's got male genitalia. Who cares? Right. I don't think who cares. it's, it's really freeing. It's wonderful. Well, and I love that you shared that because this is what would start to happen if we just accepted that people are in relationships. Yeah. It's that simple. People are in relationships. I, one of my clients from several years ago, when he first came to start the work with me, he's he had read my book and he's like, I knew I needed to work with you. I'm like, oh, cool. I said, so are you coming out? Well, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I know that I seem to believe I'm attracted to men now. I'm like, okay. He goes, so we started working. I said, well, how do you want, you know, how do you want to like talk about this? He goes, well, do I have to? I said, no, you don't have to. But, you know, the questions are going to come up. You were married and now divorced, had nothing to do with him finding a guy on the side. 
<clears throat> and he said, well, the way I feel most comfortable is I'm dating a guy now. I'm just dating a guy. I'm like, cool. As long as you're comfortable there, that's all that matters. And I loved him being in that solid space so much because, and he continued to like, yeah, I'm with a guy right now. Now he's getting married to that guy. But he was so solid at the beginning about just, this is what's happening. This is what's happening, folks. That's what's happening in my world, period. Mm -hmm. And he goes, some people didn't know what to do with that. I'm like, guess what? Whoever doesn't know what to do with that, that is on them. Yeah. It's not on you. I think it's very liberating. There's something about identity politics that is um, oppressive because it forces us to analyze so closely our gender, our identity uh, in terms of sexuality or our identity on any level, our identity. I listed a bunch of my identities. It's it's proof that I am not fully out of the identity politics oppression um, because we analyze identity. But what if we didn't? You know, Mm -hmm. what if we just existed? And in in some ways, this new relationship I'm in has uh, really shifted my views on all of those topics. Because, as I said, it's he's he's just I mean, he identifies as a he he's he's a cis man, but he uh, it's just not an issue. None of it is an issue. And that is so nice because all well, my refreshing. lesbian relationships. Yeah, refreshing. All my lesbian relationships were it was so much an issue because it was so much a part of our lives to be and like, you know, front and center in that parade and on the stages and behind the microphones and and talking to the audiences about all of the the politics that were necessary for visibility. And then in my straight relationship, that was also an issue because he was a very gendered heterosexual Chinese man that believed very strongly in different genders, gender identities and gender behaviors for men and women. That comes from his cultural upbringing. And and of course that was in conflict with a lot of my values and that led eventually to our separation and divorce. With, without any disrespect to his cultural background. You know, it's just just two different ways of seeing things. And now finally to have met somebody for whom none of that matters. And it just so happens he's male. Wow, it's it's so liberating, so refreshing. It's but it's also everything that came before has prepared you to really appreciate what there is. And who knows, yeah. this may not be the last one either. I mean, I, I've been always very as I've evolved and continue to evolve and and dive into my own interesting journey to see how, if I stand back and take a breath every once in a while about, okay, well, here's where we are right now and look to the past in a very healthy way of, wow, that actually informed me to be able to be here, to be really Mm -hmm. present here. It's hard to do because we we get so many messages coming from so many places about, oh, but you should be this and you should be that. And you know, that identity you know, politics, as you say, it's like, I'm so done with people telling me who I should be. And that was one of the core essences of why I started doing this work. I'm like, I even changed my entire brand from being the coming out coach to being the guy that just wants to work with people to be unapologetically who they are. I don't care what that means. If you want to be unapologetically a singer songwriter, then I want to help you do that. If you want to be a divorced woman, because you know what? Marriage isn't for me. Great. I wanted to help you do that. In fact, one of the, the last times that I spoke on stage, I got a message from somebody who was in the audience the next day. And they said, 
your, your talk was so impactful to me. I knew there was something that just really needed to be shaken up in my life. And the more I thought about what you said, and I was like, a, I was a 10 minute talk at this conference. I was like the interstitial speaker before I set the tone for the next two speakers coming up. She goes, I went home and I had a really, really deep, heartfelt conversation with the guy I've been dating. And I told him it was time for me to just go be who I really was meant to be and that he wasn't part of the equation. Of course, initially, I'm like, great, I just broke somebody up. But I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> what I did was help bring forth what was already happening for her in that moment. So all this stuff works together for good. So speaking of working yeah. together for good, before we wrap up everything here, so what's going on in your life, new albums, new tours, all that sort of stuff, you know, what's, what's next for Ember Swift? Oh, yeah, thanks for asking. So um, my new album came out in 2021. And, uh, you know, we were predicting that the pandemic would be over, but it didn't really end for China until January of 2023. Um, nevertheless, I'm still very, very proud of that record. And I, I think if people haven't heard it, they should. It's called Mid-March Meltdown. It has nothing to do with the pandemic. It was named pre-pandemic. It was a different March and a different meltdown. Um, but uh, it's a collection of work that uh, I think is the best work I've ever ever created. And much of it is created alongside of my partner, who's also my musical partner, Gabrielle mm. Baudouin. Um, now, the pandemic has finally lifted from China. And we are scheduling tours, we have a really nice theater tour scheduled for the spring here throughout all of mainland, which I'm very excited about. Nice. And in, in great news, one of the things that's really wonderful about my life, and a lot of my fans back in the West don't understand, is that I have the opportunity to perform at least two or three times a week without leaving my home in this mm. city. And as a parent, that's wonderful. I can be a present, regular, present parent for my mom, yep. for my kids, a mom yep. for my kids. Yep. Um, but I, uh, I get to play. I have a really regular performance uh, schedule in Beijing alone. Um, mm. So I am still really active as a performer here. But I hope to, I will be going back to Canada in July of this year. And I'm very happy about that. It will have been four years since I've seen my family and since wow. they've seen their grandchildren, my parents have seen their grandchildren as, as a result of these border controls and the hyper intense um, protectionism of the Chinese government related to COVID, mm -hmm. which was beneficial in the beginning and oppressive in the end. That's a short form of the long yep. story. Yep. Um, but I hope to do some shows back in Canada uh, to my uh, very loyal and wonderful fans there nice. uh, when I'm back in July. But um, so far, that's what's opening up. And hopefully towards the end of 2023, we can start looking at getting back to Europe where I was touring regularly hmm. and uh, just just getting back out there with this new body of work, but which by then will not really be new. But I'm hoping to have a new collection of songs out um, by the end of 2023 because I have a whole new uh, collection. Excellent. So, so yeah, if anybody wants going. to follow you and start to listen to your music and everything, where's the best place for them to connect with you, Amber? Uh, well, I'm on all the platforms, iTunes, Spotify, all the uh, also on all the Chinese platforms. If anyone in China is listening, Douyin, Weibo, all of these, uh, you know, Weixin, yep. Pintai, all those things. Um, and, uh, I have my 
my main website is still active. You know, I'm a product of the '90s, so I still have a .com, um, <laughs> emberswift.com. Right. So of course you can get information there, and uh, you can always find me on on any platform. Really, awesome. you can just search my name, Ember Swift. No relation cool. to Taylor. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Thanks Sometimes so much for having I, me on your show. Of course, I've enjoyed this conversation and you sharing so openly of, about your multiple coming out journeys. This is what this show is all about. It's not just here's this one thing. We come out as human beings every day about something in our lives. It just happens to be that the queer community got the coin of coming out of the closet. And guess what? Closets are everywhere, everyone. So um, thank you for being such an amazing guest and sharing your story. I know there's going to be people who are going to be inspired by what we went through today and wishing you nothing but best of luck and continued success and continue being you in that way that is really unique to who you are. Uh, I love it. Thanks, Rick. Thank you so I much. will. You too. So lovely to meet you and to have this conversation. Thanks. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And we just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.